Gang, I'm glad you're here today and welcome you if you're a guest to our services. Um, church, if you uh, have been aware of our series, actually today I'm supposed to be in the book of Joshua. We're going to be supposed to be talking about our freshening our commitments, renewing our commitments, but I'm going to leave that for a week if you'd allow me. And uh, God's kind of stirred my heart on something and and I, I, I think he's kind of led me away for a week. I got an email a couple weeks ago. Don was preaching and uh, studying to preach, so I didn't have quite as much on my, my uh, shoulders. And so I went down to my camp, and uh, my idea was to not do anything <laughs> except hunt. But I got an email while I was there. And uh, the email really, really... Uh, challenged my heart one of our, from one of our members, and I have permission to read some of that to you, and I will in a moment. But it really kind of struck my heart, and so instead of going out, I just kind of sat in my camper all day, and uh, at my at the little table there, and began to think about the email, what she said, and what maybe God might want to do with it. I, I want to talk to you this morning on the subject that only truth can set you free. And we can try a lot of different things. We're good at trying a lot of different things. Again, we can play a lot of churchy stuff. We can sing a lot of churchy songs and preach a lot of churchy sermons, teach a lot of churchy lessons. But the fact of the matter is, Nothing but truth can ever set a man free. The email I got was in response to a few weeks ago when I was preaching in 1 Corinthians 10. If you remember, we talked about rejecting temptation. And that week, I leading up to verse 13 that talks about God being faithful and God providing a way of escape, never putting on us more than we can handle. You remember that? Do you? Well, good. One remembers. I usually forget on Monday what I preach on Sunday, okay? But uh, the email was in reference to that. I pointed out in that sermon the four sins of Israel that brought the nation down. And one of them I was maybe could have been a little harder than I needed to be on, and that was in the, the area of, of immorality. And yet I, I really believe that that's the, the issue, that maybe the overriding issue in our nation today that's really causing us great pain. And so from that, I got an email, and let me just read part of it to you. I have permission. Pastor Tom, I email you with a troubled heart. It seems that the four sins you touched on Sunday is really hitting our community. Divorce is skyrocketing, and the lack of fighting for what God brought together is bothering me. We have, and she gave me a number of close friends that are ending their marriage after 16 to 20 years together, and it's really, really bothering me. She went on to say that the grumbling and the murmuring going on between teens is horrible. Social media doesn't help. It seems that jealousy has taken over, and so many of our teens don't seem to be happy or content. Parents want to be friends and not parents. And then she went on to say, what hits me 
hard is the number of people I know that are hurting themselves physically, of course emotionally I, I know, hurting themselves. Well, I, I read the email, and I, of course I, I, I agreed with the email, but I sat there for a minute thinking, you know, God, it really doesn't make sense to me. Why would a people, a people that live in the freest nation on earth, a nation that's been given more by God than any other nation combined, why would we be killing ourselves, which is what's happening, okay? Here's how I responded to the email. I said, there's currently a darkness in our land. There's an evil spirit hovering over our people, corrupting our culture, killing our kids. And the reason is it's because of a lack of God. And then I said this. I said, you know, in history, God sends his movements, not when there's brightness, but God always sends his movements when there's darkness. You see, there are people out of the darkness comes light. And only when there's dark can there be light. So it's out of this culture that we think is so dark and so negative that we see all these things happening to our children in our families, in our community. It's out of that darkness that God has used in the past to send light. And I want to tell you something. Light's always more powerful than darkness. And so the interchange with her and down at camp led me to, to just kind of put some thoughts together. And what I want to say as we begin this morning is that, gang, it's not critical, it's crucial that we have an understanding and an accepting of truth. Not truth as Tom sees it, okay? Not truth as you may see it, but truth as Jesus sees it. Truth that we find from God's Word. Now, the passage in John 8 we're going to be looking at, you can take your Bible there if you'd like. The passage we're going to look at is an interchange between Jesus and some Jews. And I want to point out to you, it's pretty significant to me that, that this interchange or this dialogue that Jesus has with some Jews who believed him. But clearly in the passage, we're going to find a difference in believing Jesus and believing in Jesus or believing on Jesus. That's the distinction I want to draw this morning, if God will allow me and help me. And then I want to share with you some things that I, as I was sitting at the table, some things I, I just jotted down. Would you stand in honor of God's word? And we're in uh, John chapter 8. I want us to begin reading in, in verse 30 and read through verse 36, okay? And he spoke these things, and as he spoke these things, many came to believe. Now, my translation has in him. How many of your translation has on him? How many in him? Well, you guys got the right Bible. Okay? But that, that little preposition, in, it can be in or it can actually be on. But it's not just a two-letter word that's just thrown in there. It's very significant when prepositions are used in the Bible. It's very significant. 
Verse 31, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who, notice, believed him. Now, there's a distinction there. Do you see it? And then he said, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, anytime Jesus repeats something, he's saying, wake up and really pay attention, okay? Truly, truly, I say to you that everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. And then he said this, so if the son makes you free, you will be free. Indeed. Father, I ask for us today to receive your illumination, your help in understanding this incredible dialogue. Father, I know we can't get through all of it. I know that some of this is just God generated from your Holy Spirit, I believe, from the email and that day of just meditating and thinking. But God, I believe it's what you desire today for our people. And God, help our people to know that in our nation today, in every church today, thousands and thousands of people are sitting and they're playing it, but they're not. And they may believe Jesus, but they're not believing in Jesus. If that be true today for these dear people, may your Holy Spirit be pleased to do what only he can do, and that is convict of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. We know that conversion belongs to the Lord alone for his glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, dear people. Be seated. Keep your Bible open. Did you notice that Jesus made a distinction between those who are indeed his disciples and those who pretend to be his disciples. Our associate pastor last week, Don, did a a great job talking about discipleship and the key to discipleship. And if you are here, he said that that the key to discipleship, being a disciple of Christ, is, is is abiding or dwelling or what he said, remaining in the word. Now, what I, I want you to understand from this passage, gang, Jesus is talking about, not talking about head knowledge. He's talking about not awareness. He's not talking about lip service. He's talking about lifestyle living. He's talking about the proof of reality, and that is living with Jesus day in and day out. You see, the proof of it is the enduring. What I want you to know is that salvation is not enthusiasm. Salvation is persevering. Salvation is what we call the perseverance of the saints, enduring to the end. And I firmly believe that in our nation today and in our churches today, there's a lot of people that do lip service to God, but they're not generally born-again Christians. Now, listen, it doesn't mean that they're hostile to Christianity. It doesn't mean that they're really against any of the doctrines we preach. They uh, They don't deny Christ, but the fact is they don't follow Christ. They don't dwell. They don't remain 
they don't live with Christ. And the fact of the matter is, you may be in that camp today. And if you're in that camp today, I want you to know that you've got a very serious problem. Because according to the passage, it means that you're not a born-again Christian. You may be a church member. You may be a good church member. You may even be a song or singer. You might be a Sunday school teacher. I, in my, my first church, we had a guy that was going through seminary with me and uh, gave me all kinds of fits. He didn't like the way I preached. was not unusual. Uh, but after he graduated from seminary, he went to New York to help start a church. He called me one day. He said, I just got saved. You might be a preacher, but you may not be remaining or dwelling with Christ. And because of that, you're not saved. And I believe it's happening all across our nation. A survey was taken that said that 90% of the people in Britain and 90% of the people in the United States of America believe in a personal God. Now, gang, there's no way 90% of the people of this nation are saved or we wouldn't be enduring and we wouldn't be going through the things that we're going through. We wouldn't be killing our children and blaming it on anything other than a lack of God in the lives of people. In my pre-preacher days, I worked in the oil industry. And uh, I had you know, a lot of customers and acquaintances. And I had a friend who, who would, called himself a Christian. Uh, he, he went to church, okay? We were sitting around one day, and he was lamenting the uh, corrupted culture. I mean, that was 30 years ago, you know. I wonder what he would say today. But he just went on and on about the land in which we live and the bad leadership and all of that kind of stuff and the killings and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, but what I knew about him was this. Uh, while he went to church every Sunday and while he lamented of what's going on in the culture all the way back then, I know that every opportunity he had, he stuck it to customers. He cheated our customers. I knew that every month when he turned in his expense report, he cheated on his expense account. I knew that, that uh, he, when he did his taxes, hello, about that time of year, I know that when he did his taxes, he didn't render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar. And I could t spend the next 15 minutes telling you everything else he cheated on. Let me ask you a question. What do you think Jesus meant when he said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free? Do you think this friend of mine was free? Or do you think that perhaps he, because of his own sin or his own idea or some kind of warped philosophy or warped theology, do you think he really understood what it meant to be free? You see, the fact is Jesus made a distinction here between those who believe Jesus and those who believe in Jesus or on Jesus. I want you to look. Let me, let me read a couple more verses there. Verse 34 five, and 35 and 36 again, because I want to be real careful with you. Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever the son does, so if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. What I want to be careful of is, is this. Jesus does not say that his followers will never sin. I don't know if you're into grammar or anything, but this is what's called, pre verse 34 is present tense. 
And what Jesus is saying is that those who habitually sin, those who continually sin, those who live in a pattern or a lifestyle of sin, and we might even add those who have no conviction in their life about it or no repentance in their life about it are lost and they don't know Jesus Christ and they're not born again followers of Jesus Christ. They're not dwelling with Christ. Now it's easy for us sometimes to look around and we think who's not here or we think about uh, people who we don't see for six months or eight months or nine months and we think, you know, they probably don't even know Christ. But the fact of the matter is there are those that go to our churches every single Sunday who really play some kind of game, give verbal affirmation to the things around. They don't deny Christ or the doctrines of Christ. And yet they live every day in their sin. And one day when the curtain is drawn and the sun goes down, they'll die in their sin. You see, dear people, a person can really believe certain things about Christ a person can believe certain facts about Christ and yet fail to believe in Christ or on Christ. You can believe he was the Son of God. You can believe he was the Savior of the world and be lost in your sin. And that lostness will be reflected in your lifestyle. And you'll look at an email like I did and you'll realize why is the world falling apart? It's because we live in a Christless society. I think it's critically important that we understand there is a distinction between accepting Jesus as Savior and obeying him as Lord. And if you're not obeying him as Lord, then you're lost. You're not living any kind of faith. And the result is you're going to get what our society is getting. Now, if only the truth sets a person free, then what does sin do? Well, Jesus said it enslaves the person. That means that it binds a person. It means that it blinds a person. And ultimately, it means that it breaks a person. It'll destroy everything in that person's life. And ultimately, that person will spend eternity separated from God in a devil's hell. And so I just sat there, and I dwelt on that email. And I said, God, what, what does all this mean? I went to this passage. I said, what does this mean? And there are three things that I wrote down, three things I want to share with you this morning. Number one, I want you to understand that truth is confrontational, Okay. Truth is always confrontation. Now listen, we don't want to be confronted about truth. I understand that. But truth always warns confrontation because it's only truth, Jesus said, that sets a man free. You know what truth does? It looks you square in the face. It forces you to look at your life not from Tom's perspective or not from your Sunday school teacher's perspective. It forces you to look at life from God's perspective, from the Word of God's perspective. Now, you may be reactionary to it, you may be reactionary to the word itself or maybe the messenger, but you'll never get free unless you're confronted with truth. And dear people, 
the role we have as believers in Jesus Christ is to confront our nation, to confront our people with truth. I shared with you, I wasn't going to share this. I, I think I will. I, I just am what I am. It ain't much. But I'm gonna, I, I, let me just share my heart with you. Most of the time, when preachers get through preaching, we generally step outside and think, oh, gee, I wish I, you know, I could have had a V8. Wish I could have done better. Give me another shot. But I want to tell you something. On, on that day when I preached 1 Corinthians 10, that was one of the few times in 30 years of preaching that I stepped out and said, you know, God, we nailed that one. God, I felt your presence. I felt like I was in the chair listening. I felt, God, that that's what our people needed. And then after the service, I had a few come up to me and say, uh, there's some folks that got up and left. And they acted like they were angry. And I understand because it was a part of the message that talked about immorality. It talked about um, abortion and so on. And I understand that. Now, you know, no, no preacher likes to see people walk out, you know. By the way, we don't like you to see you go to sleep either, so don't go to sleep, okay? But, but let me tell you what hit me. It wasn't the fact. And I understand we don't like to be confronted with truth, but we've got to be. You agree with that, right? But I don't tell you what bothered me. They didn't stay for the end. They didn't get the dessert, you know. Oh, if they just waited, they would have heard that God is faithful. He'll never put on you what you can't handle. He'll always give you an exit out of it. And they missed it. Nobody likes confrontation. But you're never going to get free. You'll never get God's fullness until you hear that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. You see, the truth of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I almost feel like I'm screaming. Am I too loud? I'm okay? Okay. Help me out here, okay? The gospel of Jesus Christ involves a cross, people. An innocent man died on that cross because of you, because of me. Now, we reject the light because our deeds are evil. I understand that. It exposes our sin. I understand it. But without it, people die in their sin. Truth is always confrontational. If it's truth, it's got to be the gospel. The blood sacrifice of the Lord Jesus is a confrontational gospel. A man got sacrificed. A man got slain. A man got humiliated because of your sin, because of my sin. Truth always warrants confrontation. The second thing I wrote down is that truth is convictional. You see, anytime truth, not my truth or your truth, but God's truth, anytime God's truth is faithfully proclaimed, it always bears conviction in the heart. The Word of God is God's special revelation of Himself. There's a living, there's an active dynamic to it. It, gang, listen, it's not like reading a book. It's not like reading a magazine or a newspaper. It pierces, the Bible says, into the innermost part. It cuts on the way in and it cuts on the way out. It's the Word of God that exposes 
the ugliness and the dirtiest part of our soul. It slaps you hard. It makes you deal with it. That's why many can't hang with it. That's why many people don't want to hear it. They want to go somewhere when they go home. They don't feel the conviction. They don't have to face it in their life. So they go home and they they go back to their same old pig slop. And a nation gets what a nation is getting. We keep killing our babies. We keep twisting to fit our own ideas. And we become increasingly a nation without God. I don't know about you. I, I was reading this week uh, about the Boy Scouts. Okay? Don't leave. There's icing. There's dessert at the end. Okay? But I'm going to tell you what I think. Okay? I read this week about the Boy Scouts. Six months, gang, listen, six months after the board declared that they were not going to change their policy, that it was the best policy, that parents supported the policy, now it appears and in all likelihood they're going to reject that policy and allow homosexuality in the Boy Scouts. The Supreme Court affirmed their right to set the policy, yet cultural pressure, the, the chairman of AT&T, chairman of one of the largest accounting firms, and others are putting pressure on them to change. And in all probability, the Boy Scouts are going to change their oath from to do my duty to God and my country, to help others, to keep myself physically strong, mentally awake, morally straight. That'll all be thrown out because of the pressure of a culture without God. And do you know that it's most of the churches that sponsor Boy Scouts. Now, I don't know if it's going to happen, but I want to tell you in all probability, you'll be watching, you'll be reading. Because in all probability, that's going to happen. Cultural pressure has more pressure than biblical revelation. God help a nation that gives into the culture more than conviction of God's revelation to them. I've had this on my desk for about nine months, and, and I want you to understand, it's, a, it's an interview with our president, and I'm not slamming Obama. The reason I'm using it is because I, I received this, and he's the most visible and the most powerful man in the country. Uh, so I don't want you to go out and think, well, I'm just slamming him. I'm not. I pray for him. I probably pray for him more than you guys do, maybe. But I want you to, I want you to hear an interview. It was, it was called The God Factor by someone by the name of Falsini. I don't know who that is, okay? But there was a dialogue with our president. And listen, Falsini said, do you believe in sin? Obama said, well, yeah, I do, which is good, right? He said, well, or she said, what is sin? And Obama said, listen, it's being out of alignment with my values. Well, what happens... If you have sin in your life, he was asked. He said, I think it's the same thing as the questions about heaven. In the same way that if I'm true to myself and my faith, then that is its own reward. When I'm not true, that's its own punishment. Now, now beloved, listen to me. Being out of alignment with your values falls short of any biblical definition of sin that there is. Sin is an affront 
It's an abomination before a holy God. It's not your idea of value. It's not your idea of what you think is right or wrong. It's not some kind of philosophical idea. Sin is an affront to a holy, righteous God. And I understand we don't like to be confronted with that. And I understand we may not even like the conviction of it, but I'm telling you, until we understand the confrontation and until we understand the conviction, we're going to continue to be a lost nation. Part of the makeup of that lost nation will be the dear people that come to our churches, you see. And so what I wrote down first is truth is confrontational. It has to be. Truth always bears conviction. It's convictional. And the last thing, and then I'm through, truth is consequential. Now, guys, listen to me. Accepting truth, God's truth, not Tom, okay? I want to be clear because I get it wrong a lot. I, I screw up a lot, okay? Accepting or rejecting God's truth always has ramifications to it, okay? It determines your life here. Eternal life is not just out there one day, see? Eternal life is today. It's how you live your life today, and you can't live it inconsistent of what the Scriptures teaches us, or you're not free, you're a slave to sin. This interchange of Jesus had, you know, in verse 32, they said, we are Abraham's descendants. We've never been enslaved to anyone. You know what they were saying? Now, wait a minute, Jesus, you don't get it. We're Jews. Abraham's our father. You want to see our birth certificate? You want to see our pedigree? No, you got it all wrong. If we were to lift that into today's finale, we'd say, no, wait a minute, Tom. You don't know what you're talking about. Of course, it's Jesus they were talking to. You don't know what you're talking about, Tom. You want to see my birth certificate? I was born in the United States of America. That's the kind of idea of this dialogue. Wait a minute, Tom. You want to see my, 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 my name on a roll? I'm a member of Indian Springs Baptist. What do you mean I'm not free? Hey, I got a certificate when I was baptized, you know. What do you mean I'm not free? Jesus says those who continually are in sin, living in sin, habitual lifestyle of sin, without conviction, are slaves to sin. Sin always has ramifications to it. Truth is always consequential, gang. Please, listen. Parents, listen. America, would you just listen? Truth is always consequential. In Jesus' last prayer, flip a couple pages to, to John 17. This is our Lord's last prayer. And in John 17, verses 15 through 7, listen to what Jesus said. This is his last prayer before he goes to the cross. John 17, 15. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And notice, Jesus said, sanctify, that means to purify, to set them aside. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Gang, only 
the Word of God. When we not just understand it here, but accept it here and submit to it and give ourselves, that's when we become free. Maybe you're wrapped up in life, like that email. Maybe, maybe life isn't working for you. Maybe life is hell for you. Truth and truth alone is what will set you free. Do you remember when, right before Jesus died and he was in this thing with Pilate and they were talking back and forth, Pilate looks at Jesus and he says, what is truth? What is truth to you? Is it something you give lip service to? Or is it something that has radically, radically changed your life? There was a movie some years ago that, that uh, A Few Good Men is a really kind of cool movie in a lot of ways, but there was a section in it that really, really hits it on the nail on the, on the head. Nick, Nick, would you play that thing and then we'll, we'll be through. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! May I ask you, can you handle truth? Can you today, where you're living and the way you're living, oh, dear people, can you handle truth? If you can, then you'll be free. If you can't, then you'll be a slave to sin. Your life on this earth will be hell. But it'll be the best thing you got. Because the next life will be in hell. It's far worse. Jesus said, if the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. Father, in Jesus' name, Right now in the stillness of this room, God, I pray you'll help us answer the question, what is truth? And God, only you can convict, and God, only you can convert, but God, there's something that needs to happen in our nation and in the people of this great land, and in our churches, Father. Something's got to happen to our communities and our churches and our families. Maybe this morning it'll happen to somebody for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.